Oh, man, I didn't see that you had I was looking up there. My bad. Good day, mams and sirs, and welcome to episode 34 of the Number 9 with Tommy podcast. Now that we've gotten that nauseating episode about gratitude out of our way, let's get back to what you expect us to say. Anal bleeding. Unwed breeding. Booger flicking. Hooker licking. What we'd rather. Shitter splatter. Shots banging. Snots hanging. Fish markets. Let's get started. Fingernails that make your stomach curdle. Origins of popcorn kernels. We ain't talking about snacks to fill your tummy tum when we reference honey buns. Line the bed of your truck with some carpet and park it somewhere. If you and the star of the show are going to have an adulterous affair. Without a single bit of further ado, I bring to you a man who gets mad when my cell phone goes off and loves to interrupt with a cough whenever I talk. A man whose hands are nearly as big as dip dizzy whistles and who eats peanut brittle and Skittles faster than LeBron James can dribble. It's motherfucking Chunk Dizzle. Tom fucking Washington. What's been up, man? How are you? Yeah, I was good until you read the intro. Man, and so I just up. realized how much editing I'm going to have to. Nah, when this bad. is over, I'm going to make you re-record that, I think. So I can put it in. Ooh, I like that. Because then it doesn't matter that I fucked up live. Let's do it. I can do that. I don't know. It's going to be hard to fix. It would help if I proofread it once or twice after I wrote it. Yeah, instead of yelling at me for not even reading it, you thought I was reading it? I, I can't have you know what's coming next. Okay. It's unacceptable. Anyway, I'm excited, Pat. We got special guests today. We We're going to introduce do. him after mail time. Uh, so, you want to get right to it? We'll get right into the mail. Let's do it. Yep. Come on. Here's the mail. It never fails. It makes me want to wag my tail. When it comes, I want to wail. <laughs> All right, Pat. We got one piece of mail this week. And you're going to have to explain it to me because I don't get it. Yeah. Uh, it comes in from wrong screen. Comes in from the wrong screen. Uh, I got this message the other day in the, in the email. It just says, tell me more, Danny. Yeah. So I didn't know that you got that message because I don't have our, our fan mail to my phone. I have it to my tablet. And I don't carry my tablet at work. So it's 2020. And things can't really go at the rate they're going. If, I mean, if we have 2021, the same rate, everybody's dead by the end of the year. So uh, I get a text message from Tommy. And the text message, all it says is, do you know someone named Dan Terrell? And I went, fuck. I thought you had read something and just been like, well, he's the same age as Patrick and they're both from Thomaston. So he obviously knows him. I thought Dan died. Oh, and I was like, motherfucker, dude. So I texted Tom back and was like, yeah, he was the best man at my wedding. As I'm like, I'm, I'm at work. I'm just like, it's okay. It's okay. Like, don't freak the fuck out. And then you're like, oh, he responded to the podcast. I was like, motherfucker, dude. I was like, Jesus. So Tommy in 2020 tried to kill off uh, the best man at my wedding. They're I didn't try and kill up. him off. I was just curious if you knew who he was. Oof. Uh, so I called him and I, I and told I him. And I knew that Danny was the best man at your wedding. I didn't know Danny's last name. I've only met him once or twice. Gotcha. So, I mean, given if I would have known you back then, I would have been the best man at your wedding. Or at so. least had a name tag that said so. Well, I definitely would have done that. That's tacky and not likable. Wow. That's hurtful. Um, yeah, so I called Danny and I told him the story and he was like, yeah, I was fucking tanked, man. Uh, I, I 
I knew that the number nine thing was yours and I didn't know that it was just like a newsletter. So all I was, I like, I, I wanted to participate, but I didn't know what you were asking. So I just wrote back that I needed more info. <laughs> Love it. Love it. So uh, apparently Danny T got too drunk to read. That's where we were at. I'm, I like it. I like it. Uh, so that's our only mail for this, uh, this show. I want to remind everybody you can go to number nine number9podcast.com and at the bottom of the page you can subscribe to our email list um, which we're going to be sending out probably weekly maybe twice a week with questions for the show um, Pat I think has a new question for this week it's going to be easier than last week's question yeah, since last, last week's week question somehow was a, a stumper yeah it wasn't a good one um, Anthony's in the chat he says he's no, champing at the bit up? to hear Michael Michael, um, can you see the chat? You're not on. You're not on Facebook. You're not on YouTube right now. Just nod for us if you can see the chat. It's, <laughs> well, that's not a nod. Well, Tony see. is on the chat. Tony's live on, like, via text message on YouTube. I believe it's on the left side of your screen, sir. For if you're looking at us. Anyway. Um, oh, now we can see it. Okay. All right. So. Uh, yeah, so go to number9podcast.com, go to the bottom of the page, subscribe to the email list. You can also donate to the podcast on the bottom of any page on the website. Uh, the subscribe button is at the bottom of the homepage. Uh, you can also hit us up at Twitter, at number9pod, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, all the same, number9 with Tommy Podcast. Well yeah, anything you want to add? No. Yeah, Please getting... email in some feedback or some questions. Yeah, answer the damn weekly question. Uh, my wife sends in all kinds of stuff to the show, which I believe on Thursday. Did Dizzy do... Wizzle gives us all kinds of feedback? Yeah. Uh, I think Thursday's show, we're going to do a bunch of stuff that Eric, like a bunch of news articles that Eric has sent in. Yeah. Should be a good time. It's me, Versace. Once somebody shot me, and I was just checking the mail. Get it? Checking the mail. Pat, we have a special guest on the show. Why don't you go ahead and uh, introduce him? It would be my pleasure. Thank you, Tommy. <laughs> uh, this guy is what Tupac spoke of when he referenced the rose that grew from the concrete. We're more proud of him than he'll ever know. And you can hear it whenever our mom speaks. He's partied harder than Farley, drank more tiger's blood than Charlie, and flown higher skies than Marley. He would have qualified as a Golden Gloves boxer if he ever stepped inside the ring. If you ever got in a spat and needed some back, this is the guy you would bring. Then he put his fist down and picked up a good book and went on a search for himself. A journey that released all his demons and started him dreaming of how he'd get out of his hell. After some pretty rough surgery, he'd purged all the uncertainty and found him a path with some promise. He'd work on a farm and make enough money until he could get him some knowledge. With his passion for people and his work ethic lethal, he blew right through years of college. Since then, he's found him a hella fine wife, and they settled down nice, and they recently bought a new... Ah, in a recent... Ugh, with a... Ugh, holy fuck. Since then, he found him a hella fine wife, and they settled down nice with a recent new home that they bought. With two beautiful children, his constant reminder of the payoff and how hard he had fought. You see him in their eyes, and of course, no surprise, it turns out my brother's a hero. He wears scrubs, not a cape and a suit. Takes the next patient from his waiting room. Thankless, the line is eternal, so it might seem. Joins us today in his rare time away from fighting COVID-19. Michael fucking Gallagher. What's been up, man? How are you? I'm doing well. How are you guys doing? Not too bad. Good. Good. 
Uh, I'm sorry that I can't read, bro. Sorry. We got some great chat going on right now. What happened? Let's see. Uh, Anthony chimed in and said that you're not, well, to your pat in the hat. Yeah. Comment. He said you're fat in the hat. <laughs> uh, and Michael chimed in and said uh, we may want to pre-record these intros. <laughs> These, so Tommy broke my balls about intros for the first 30 episodes. We started going live, and I've never fucked one up until today. I fucked both of them up. Yeah, it's been bad. It's brutal. I'm just glad that people can see it live that, that you do suck at doing the intros. Yeah, but you, you're like, oh, he fucked up 30 times. I fucked up once on each of them, maybe twice on each of them. Yeah. No longer uh, a rumor, Pat. What do you say? All right, what'd you say? Uh, you sucking on these intros is no longer a rumor. Yeah. Oh, wow. It's facts. That's, that's hurtful. Mason says, first time every time. <laughs> Hi, uh, Mason. How are you, you fucking asshole? Yeah. Uh, so, Michael, I want to thank you for joining us today. I know that you rarely get a day off. Uh, you had mentioned to me before the show that you've worked, that by the end of the year, you're going to work 340 days ish this year. Uh, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, yeah, it's been a lot, but, you know, there's been a lot of need in the hospital this year, as everybody knows, so hopefully next year will be a lot different, and I won't have to work so hard. So, are are they not giving, like, you don't have an option to take any time off at this point, right, unless you become sick? Um, no, I mean, when the waves hit, so the hospitals have what's called, like, an internal disaster system, and there's a couple different phases at each different hospital has like their own methods um and they can if they were to go to like their highest level like the hospital i work at they go to like phase one um basically every employee just uh needs to respond to the hospital and wait for assignments and you get deployed wherever wherever you you know you're competent to work um we never hit that actual phase this year we were in um like phase two uh which kind of bypasses certain state laws um, so they could essentially make the nurses work longer hours and, uh, you know, take more patients so they increase the ratios between nurse and patient, not just nurses, but all of the healthcare workers. Um, this year, though, uh, with the, um, you know, th the fact that COVID was so new and we knew nothing about it, and it was extremely scary for all of us, um, you know, I ended up having the quarantine in my house for weeks on end. Um, so it, it just became like the safest place to be for my family was just to stay at work. And so rather than quarantining in the bedroom at home and hearing my kids down the hall and not being able to interact or embrace them or play with them, um, it just was easier to stay at work. And so kind of, uh, you know, kept my family safe, but at the same time, there was a great need in the hospital. And so it was able to meet that need as well. Nice. God damn. Yeah, I couldn't imagine having that uh, that thought process of I might as well stay at work. It's the safest place for everybody. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about, I I, I think, like, globally, or I shouldn't say globally, universally in America anyways, people look forward to the end of their workday. This motherfucker's, the end of his workday doesn't change anything. He's like, all right, I'm done working. I guess I'll just stay right here and fucking take a nap. So did they have, like, cots and stuff set up for you to sleep in? No, I mean, there there were some places. I mean, we have, like, I'm procedural, so my job actually is in cardiac cath lab and interventional radiology department. We had, like, a pre- and post-procedure area, um, and so we, I've 
take many a naps in there um, on a stretcher that's available. Um, so, you know, I did go home most nights and only sleep at the house. And I would just, you know, I'd get home after everybody was sleeping and I'd leave before everybody woke up. Yeah. Do any of but those it, stretchers have like Tempur-Pedic mattresses by any chance? Yeah, not not uh, Tempur-Pedic. <laughs> But it, it was, uh, you know, in the beginning, um, I, I had these vivid, like, uh, visions of my kids being intubated, you know, and because I'd come home and, and I'd hug them and then I'd pass on COVID and then, you know, just have these visions of them being intubated in the hospital. And it just, I mean, it just shook me to the core, yeah. uh, you know, knew nothing about this in the beginning. It was scary for everybody. Now, the the experience you just described where you... You have these, uh, we'll call it, I hope not, not premonitions, but visions of uh, you causing your children that kind of pain. Uh, generally speaking, we would refer to that as PTSD. Like, you know, if that's anybody else's PTSD, what is the new term that's being associated? I, I read an article. I don't recall the term. What's the term that's being now? Um, that was so Walmart, doc doesn't count. Dr. Z, who has, he does clips, you could probably YouTube it. He has this new term that he's calling it moral injury. Moral injury. I knew something like that. Yeah, and we've had this data. It's been out there for a while, even before COVID, and they talk about um, ICU nurses and ER nurses, they, um, you know, that we experience the same level of trauma, same level of PTSD as a soldier on the front line of war, essentially because we're going into this profession we have our ethics and our um, ideals kind of set in place, our morals, and then we we go to work thinking that we're gonna, you know, that we're answering this call, something higher, this, you know, it's, it's something bigger than ourselves, and so it's this kind of higher power calling, and then you get there and, you know, you realize sometimes uh, you're not doing what's best for the patient, you're doing what's financially best for the hospital or, you know, for your country and you know, people get hurt because of it. And you see things that you're not, the, the normal average human being is not supposed to see. Yeah. And it, and it damages you, it damages your morals. So you have this moral injury and it's, um, it's one of those things if you're not subconscious about it, if you're not constantly watching it, um, it, it can be, it, it could cause so much damage that it's irreversible, um, irreparable damage that you, it'll just transform your life in a very negative way. Sure. It, it, I mean, could easily change your calling into your job, right? Well, the one thing that once gave you life can now give you death. And it's, it's similar to what we saw with dad um, in the military, you know, that comes, came home from uh, war or not from war, but wherever he was at, um, and because he did not heal that part of him or wasn't conscious about it, he then took that out on us. Right. So, you know, we're seeing that same thing with healthcare workers now. It's like if people aren't getting right with what's going on in the hospital today, they're coming home and taking that out on their families or they're drinking themselves to death. Or, you know, what we've seen in 2020 is an increase in drug overdoses in healthcare workers and, and also suicide. They're like right now, healthcare workers have the highest number of suicides in our country. That was uh, actually because, my next question. Uh, yeah, and it's it's just wrecking people's worlds. Hmm. It's crazy. Yeah, that's pretty fucking brutal. Uh, now, I totally, uh, because, I mean, I'm a genius, I totally know what cardio, cath, and what was the other thing that you do? 
So interventional radiology. Yeah, I, I know what both those things are, but Tommy is a little no behind. If you want to explain it to him so that he knows. Yeah. The cardiac cath lab, this is where um, if somebody comes to the hospital having a heart attack, we run them into our cath lab. It's where we take uh, catheters and wires and we go through like a artery, either in the wrist or in the groin, and we go up to the heart and we, we actually balloon open the coronary artery. We place a stent. And, um, you know, sometimes we have to do something like a ventricular assisted device or balloon pumps, um, but essentially we we reperfuse heart muscle. Interventional radiology is very similar to that, except instead of the heart, it's for the brain. So people coming in having an acute stroke, we can actually now go in, uh, it's called a thrombectomy, where we actually go retrieve the clot out of the patient's brain and reperfuse the brain tissue so they can, you know, essentially recover, hopefully fully. Um, so we do both of those procedures in my area. Wow. Yeah. Um, I've never seen someone have an acute stroke. I saw an adorable stroke once, but I think that's different. Uh, oh. <laughs> that's, so you deal with the, I'm going to call it the two most important parts. I mean, I guess you could debate like spine is up there as well, but the brain and the heart, huh? Yeah, it, everything is, is very fast-paced, very critical, um, and, and, and typically always life-threatening. So it happens very fast. Um, you have to really be okay with the rapidly changing environment. You have to be very flexible and willing and able to adapt quickly. Um, some of the things that, you know, I, I come from the ICU. I grew up in the ICU. That's my background, critical care medicine. Um, but the big differences in cath lab and ICU is, you know, in ICU, you kind of can see that you're, you know, your patient's sick, right? You, you can predict that your patient's going to go into a cardiac arrest or they're going to, um, they're going to code. And, you know, essentially you have your entire team there. You have an intensivist on standby. You have your, all your medicines ready to go. You're prepared. You're never really caught off guard. But in cath lab, whether that patient's coming in for an elective angiogram or if they're coming from the ED on the, you know, Russian by ambulance, um, every patient's at the same level of risk. And we have more, you know, we basically have a huge success rate in cath lab. So our patients a lot of times come in there, uh, if they get, go into a cardiac arrest, something like that, it's a lot of times it's unpredictable. You don't see it coming. And so we treat every patient. Uh, we respect the fact that what we're doing presents a high level of risk for every patient, not just the sick patient. So we're, we typically try to be proactive and ready for it. But in cath lab, and what's different in an ICU is in cath lab, every code that we see, it tends to be an absolute mega code. And what I mean by mega code is, is we throw everything we have at the patients. Sometimes our patients um, are, are in their 20s. You know, they're very young because uh, we're seeing these heart attacks happening at a younger and younger age. So uh, especially we have young patients with a lot of viable life in their future. You know, we will just throw everything we have at that patient and try to preserve life. And so we have sometimes these very long and exhaustive mega codes, which is different than what we what I used to see in ICU. When, when somebody codes, what's that? What's that called? Is that like a code blue? Is that a code pink? What do you call it? Code blue is typically your universal cardiac arrest or respiratory arrest um, code. Now, code pink typically is um, like a juvenile or uh, pediatric, so a ped, like a child. 
Wow, I yes. my two guesses were <laughs> somehow the right answers. Holy shit! <laughs> um, um, so <clears throat> go ahead. Oh, Mason has a question oh, in the chat. Let's do it. Uh, he wants to know if the term moral injury excludes ginger, the ginger community. Ah, oh, real fucking nice. Yeah. So, Michael, your take on that? You're, you're in the field. Can redheads suffer from moral injury? Well, especially in cath lab, we're a group of savages. Um, we eat our young there, as the term is, a nursing community, uh, which means that we just give everybody a hard time. But certainly if a redhead comes working with us, they're going to experience a much le higher level of ball breaking, uh, <laughs> which certainly results in a moral injury. There's something fun and just necessary about making fun of redheads. And, I, you know, certainly they would be included in that term. Nice. Well, there's your answer, Mason, you piece of shit. Uh, is there else you want to ask? Kind of. About this. So, first off, I'd like to point out that Michael said that the way they get to the heart is either through the wrist or through the, uh, the, groin. the groin, which proves my point that I tell anybody that I'm dating, uh, the fastest way to my heart is through my penis. And they never believe me. Yeah, but no, Michael is proof. proving this is 100% unequivocal. It's fact. We have a medical expert saying it. Um, nice. Michael, how many patients do you see in a day? And uh, to, to go with that, I mean, a bad day. You lose a patient, or is that kind of normal because you're dealing with them at, in worst-case scenario? I mean, is, is losing a patient, I don't want to say routine, but is it commonplace? Um, so it's not necessarily routine in cath lab. I mean, we probably lose, I would say, on average, uh, one a month or every other month, so it's relatively wow. low. Yeah. We have a high success rate. I mean, we have a really good team. Um, and you know, we take a lot of sick patients to our cath lab. So what we, we, the program we have going right now is actually pretty dynamite where I do see a lot of death though is, uh, cause I do fill in administrative supervisor. So on the weekends, that's what I was doing yesterday is, uh, you know, so your the other term for it is clinical supervisor and you're essentially a supervisor over the entire hospital. Um, and so you respond to all emergencies in the whole house, whether it's in the emergency center, in ICU, or it's in our NICU. Um, so there you see a lot, a lot of death. And, um, you know, we're responsible for getting the bodies down to the morgue, releasing bodies from the morgue, so on and so forth. Um, so that actually, uh, yeah, it was at one time when um, it was the week before Maya was born, um, I had to run a specimen to the um, to the lab, and as I walked in this room, I had this you know this little tiny infant on the table, and you know obviously the infant was a stillborn, um, and they were you know essentially performing um, they were trying to determine why how why the why the uh, baby died, um, so like I walk in and you know. You know, Patricia is nine months pregnant. We're waiting any day for Amaya to be born and, like, walking to see that. And that's the kind of stuff that will mess with you big time. Jesus. Yeah, so. I can never um, – so death in general, you don't listen to shows, so you've never heard of Death in general kind of freaks me out. Tommy's it's really like, bad at death. Yeah, it's not really my thing. I couldn't, I couldn't imagine doing what you do on a daily basis. There's no fucking way. Yeah, I well, – Dark humor gets you through it, I guess. <laughs> We're proficient in that language. Um, yeah. The uh, the idea of man, 
it's got to be a very, very specific skill, and you have to be very good at it, I'm sure. But to even just the way you approach the rest of the family. So, you know, okay, so that child died, right? But somebody has to talk to mom and dad at this point, or brothers and sisters, or somebody. Um, and they've had that conversation, you know, maybe a hundred times before. So it's got to be incredibly difficult to say, like, we understand that this child was the entire world to you. Even though I've had this conversation many, many times, hopefully this is the only time in your life you'll have this conversation. That's a tough job. Yep. Yeah. I, you know, it, I had, um, with COVID, you know, it's actually made dealing with families even harder now because, you know, we have actually in my hospital now, we had a family member come in. We were allowing visitation for end of life. Um, now we have patients in the negative pressure room. So we couldn't let the family in the room with the patient as they were dying, but they could at least like look through the glass and kind of wave and blow kisses if the family member is even aware of what's going on. Jesus. But her show up and um, she was COVID positive, which you have to expect, right? If, if the husband or wife's in the hospital sick, then you would expect the spouse also to be sick. But she, um, we had uh, several nurses get infected from her. So they all contracted from this one family member. So now we've eliminated all visitation, period. So if your family member is in the hospital dying, they're going to die alone. We won't let you in there. And it's 100% because we now have 22 nurses out sick with COVID-19, and we're not able to really uh, staff our hospital appropriately or safely. And so we're getting inundated and overrun. And so as administrative supervisor, we have family members that are constantly showing up, you know, and they are outside of the world of reason. They're hysterical. They're upset with 100% understandable why. Um, and we have to tell them, no, we don't, we're not going to let you in. And, um, you know, you have to have that conversation constantly with a lot of family members, and they typically do not respond well to it. So let me ask you, if, okay, so I'm, I'm dying in the hospital, okay? We, we know I'm going to die. Um, and my family wants to be present. Can I say I'd like to check out? Like, I, I just want to go home and be with my family? Yeah, there's home hospice. Yeah, I mean, essentially, if you're able to say that, you're probably not dying. Oh, okay. Um, these patients being at this point when they're when they're getting this sick, you know, they're typically on life support, um, sedated. Uh, but if you're if you're able to express your wishes at that level, then we could set up some sort of home hospice thing, yeah, and get you back to your house where you can. But you know, if your family's not sick and you, we send a COVID positive patient home, you know, and now, now you they're get, responsible. Yeah, you can now infect your entire family. And do you really want to go, you know, to your grave uh, wondering if, if uh, you're responsible for infecting your kids and your grandkids or, or your grandparents, for that matter? So, um, so somebody that sees the COVID thing every day, obviously, um, do you agree that it's that, like, if I were to get it or my son were to get it, the survival rate is much higher than if somebody in their late 60s, 70s, 80s gets it is much more... Uh, dangerous for them? Yeah, I mean, for the most part. And this is, so we don't know enough about COVID. I mean, we know a lot more than we did a couple months ago, but we still don't know a lot. This is what's scary about COVID. And this is what the public has a lot of difficulty understanding. So in the beginning, um, it, 
it was a virus that essentially attacked the elderly, right? So the geriatric community. So if you're 60, 70 plus, you were in the population that we were most concerned about. But COVID's a smart virus, and with all smart viruses, it learns to mutate. So it has mutated over the last year. Um, and we've seen a younger and younger population coming into the hospital. So we went from treating essentially 70 plus year olds. Now we're, we have 20s and 30 year olds on life support in the hospital. So the virus, and we're also seeing uh, children now getting infected. So that's the part that people, uh, when we talk about like mass mandates and people thinking, oh, I'm going to survive this thing. I'm not that worried about it. It's like, well, as of right now, you may survive it just fine. But if this virus mutates again, it may become much, much more lethal um, to your population. So that's the part that we're always kind of concerned about and watching out for. Um, the other thing that people, uh, I think, have they struggle to understand is CDC released this information not too long and they said, of all the COVID deaths that we've had in this country, there was only like a few thousand that were directly related to COVID or, um, and people, you know, they started kind of saying that these numbers were inaccurate and we were being lied to and so on and so forth. I remember that. I remember that all over Facebook. Yeah. So here's the thing about the way COVID works. It's very similar to the way AIDS works, right? AIDS doesn't kill a lot of people, but there's a lot of AIDS-related death. AIDS, it's a virus. It lowers your immune system, and typically what kills an AIDS patient is an opportunistic infection, maybe like the common cold. So if you didn't have the AIDS virus, your body would be strong enough to combat the common cold. But now that you have the AIDS virus, you die from it. We don't say the common cold killed that person. We say the AIDS virus killed that person because if they didn't have AIDS, common cold wouldn't have killed them. And that's what we're seeing with COVID. You know, if somebody has hypertension or diabetes, um, it essentially exacerbates these underlying health conditions to a point where we're no longer able to treat them. So if you came in with hypertension uh, without COVID, it's essentially pretty easy to treat and we can get you back on the street in, in uh, no time. But now if you come in with COVID pneumonia and your hypertension, it becomes a very different ballgame for us. It could be almost, um, you know, obviously very difficult to treat and in some cases impossible. We're seeing um, coagulopathies happening from COVID-19. So sometimes the, the blood in different parts of your body are essentially getting thicker and thicker and it's kind of churning around and we're seeing clots being thrown all over the place. So we've seen an increase in pulmonary embolisms because of covid in um, MIs and, and even in strokes. And so you may hear somebody say, oh, my, my uncle died of this heart attack. He didn't die of COVID. Well, yeah, the heart attacks is what killed him. However, they developed that clot that went to the heart because of COVID. And so we still consider it a COVID-related death. And that's where you see in this large number of uh, hundreds of thousands of COVID-related deaths in this country. Wow. Uh, Anthony has a question, uh, and I think we should move on with this. That's what we were texting. Very I'm texting uh, because your wife sent us a picture for Michael. Oh. Uh, do you get to say stat a lot in shift? <laughs> like, damn it, doctor, give me that scalpel. Scat. Yeah. yeah, actually, I, do, I, use, I use the word stat quite often. Um, but typically, like, hey, I'm going to take a break stat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, right. 
that's fucking fantastic. What a great question from Tony. Yeah, I think that was a good one. Um, I, I'm surprised he was able to spell that. He probably used spell check. <laughs> uh, all right, so we're going to move on. Uh, I know you normally don't listen to the show, uh, but Pat and I do movie reviews every Sunday, Monday show. Uh, so I watched the classic Pulp Fiction. Have you ever seen that? Oh, yes. Of course. Do you know right. why Michael seen that? Because he doesn't live on the moon in a cave with his eyes closed and his fingers in his ears humming. Okay. Well, we're going to review that. Give me one second. And I said, what about breakfast to Tiffany? She said, I think I remember the film. And as I recall, I think we both kind of liked it. And I said, well, that's the one thing we got. All right. So I watched Pulp Fiction. Uh, Wednesday after the show, Pat was supposed to stick around and watch with me. He did not. Uh, uh, hold on, hold on. Tom was like, hey, do you want to watch Pulp Fiction? I was like, absolutely. He was like, all right, give me 10 minutes to wrap this up. I'm like, no problem. I go upstairs. He comes up 15 minutes later. He's like, hey, you ready to watch the movie? I'm like, yeah. He's like, all right, give me 15 minutes to do this. I'm like, I'm out. I'm done. Because I don't know what that 15 minutes is going to be. It wasn't 10 minutes, dude. I was done here for like another three minutes. I came upstairs and I was like, we're going to watch this? And you said, yeah. I said, all right, give me 15 minutes to get everything uploaded. Felt like an eternity without you. Anyway, so I watched it. Uh, Erica tried to watch it when she fell asleep. This is my review on it. Oh, hold on. Did we? Did you IMDb to see what the rating was? No, it's right, like it's high though. It. It's like a, I think it's eight point six or something like that. Um. So I thought the movie was good ish. Um, the one part in the movie where she, where the uh, the bosses wife overdoses in the living room yeah and right before that when uh vinnie vega shoots up mm-hmm. i can't handle it dude i cannot handle that type of shit going Holy on fuck. Pulp fiction's an 8.9 on imdb i told you it was high that's the highest one we've done huh probably um yeah when she shoots or when she snorts that heroin yeah and start i wanted to puke <laughs> and when he shoots up Wanted to puke. Those. That's why I never. Because I've seen those scenes before. Yeah. That's why I've never watched it. Because I thought the whole movie was like that, and I can't handle that type of shit, dude. I'm not into seeing people do drugs, especially heroin. Not my thing. Okay, so let's let's turn your focus. What do you think of the dialogue in the movie? The foot massage, the the burger, the milkshake, all these conversations. I don't really get what, like, your whole $5 burger thing. Like, I don't know what you saw so great about that. Because there's two hitmen, right? They're holding guns to these college kids. And all Samuel Jackson can focus on is he's heard about this burger, but he hasn't tried it. That's like, not where the $5... That's not where that comes from. Though. That's where the burger is. The $5 milkshake is when Travolta's on a date with his... Yeah, but he doesn't... He just says, oh, it's a good burger. That's all he says. Yeah, whatever. So then the $5 milkshake. Yeah. They're just... When... They're... It makes a very... Uh, they're real people, Pat. Outlandish movie. Right. It brings it back and humanizes it, and it's fucking hilarious. Like, what would a hitman's focus be if he's, uh, I guess, used to his job? You know, like when, when you have just done it for so long that... You know, it doesn't bother you anymore, or that that it's, there's no adrenaline rush anymore. So this guy's standing in front of this kid, and he's like, "I try that burger." <laughs> he's like, "That's fucking awesome, dude." What about when Travolta accidentally shoots the dude in That's, the back seat? I was just gonna say that. That's probably the funniest part of the whole movie. I fucking love that because scene. they make him leave with him, and then he fucking actually shoots him, and the the fucking mess it makes in the car is hilarious. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I thought it was a good movie. I, 
I don't know if I'd ever watch it again because of those scenes. Mm-hmm. Because uh, it, it grosses me out to the highest. highest I, like that. I like that those two scenes got you. But, uh, you know, Bruce Willis taking it in the rape dungeon with no problem for you. You're over there fucking firing off knuckle children to it. That's oh, cute. that was fucked up too. I forgot about that. No, no, no. Don't bring it up now. It's Bruce Willis like didn't take it. The fucking, the black guy took it. Bing Rames? Yeah. Yeah. He took it. And then, but that, because he came back and saved his life, which kudos to Bruce Willis, said, I would have left him. <laughs> for real dude he was gonna kill me anyway i would have left him that's fair but uh yeah so, i thought all in all it was uh it was good where are you rating it uh i'd put it now this is just a personal preference right yeah, yeah, because yeah. of those scenes i put nine is very very high i'd put it at like a 7.5 okay that's fair what would you rate it at michael i mean i'd, I'd give it like an eight eight and a half i i think the the one thing that um made Pulp Fiction so good is this is like the the first legit time we experienced Samuel L. Jackson in a movie. He had done some things prior to and like some small stuff, but this is like the first time we ever get a sense of this like dark humor, the f bomb being dropped, every other word, and and it's just kind of everybody's like blown away by it. Yeah, it's true. I mean, now I'm quite a bit younger than you guys. So I think you guys, my ass, you're four years younger than me, bro. Yeah, it's quite a bit. So when this movie came out, I was like five years old. So right. uh, I was watching uh, Freddy Krueger and, uh, you know, Friday 13th at five years old. So, yeah, yeah. Tom doesn't watch horror movies. Um, anyway, yeah. that's true. It's not because I'm scared of them. I just don't like them. Um, when, <laughs> um, <laughs> so. Uh, I'm not Michael. Michael, is there a movie that you would recommend us to watch that you think we may have never seen? Yep, True Romance. Michael, is there a uh, non-homosexual movie that you would recommend <laughs> for us to watch? <laughs> Did you say True Romance? True Romance is the first movie that was uh, directed by Quentin Tarantino. It has uh, a diversity of actors who at the time weren't that big uh but then later on you'll 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 start seeing all these people i mean brad pitt's in it tony soprano's in it it's got christian slater and patricia arquette it's got christopher walken in it it's got anthony hopkins in it it's got a ton of people that at, were at the very beginning of their um career and um the movie story in and of itself has christian slater uh he basically uh, accidentally steals a suitcase of cocaine that belongs to the mafia. He meets up with this girl that they fall in love and get married, and it's essentially the mafia goes uh, after them. They want their cocaine back. And the whole movie is them trying to make it across country to California to try to sell the cocaine to run to run away to Mexico to live together forever. And, um, it, it, and so it's just fast-paced. It's got the love story in it, but it's got a ton of violence in it. Um, just a lot of really cool stuff. Val Kilmer's in it. Uh, Balky's in it. Strangers. Well, you had me at Christopher Walken. I will gladly watch True Romance. I'll watch it as well. Yeah, he's got this scene where they're torturing Anthony Hopkins, and um, you know, it's one of it's one of his some of his best acting ever is in that scene. All right, I'm in. I'll make a deal. I'll watch it, but you have to listen to our review of it. All right, fair enough. So right. if if you download uh, all the episodes of the podcast 
And then you'll have to listen to episode 36 to get that review, which will be a week from today. Episode 36. I still have... Uh, so I got Pulp Fiction. I realized I never watched Idiocracy. Um, I don't think you're going to make it through Idiocracy. I'm being serious. Why? Do because... they shoot a lot of heroin in it? No, no. It's uh, because it's really well done for the idiot part. Um, and it's like, don't get me wrong... At, it's a decent movie, but it's hard because they're so good at it. It's like watching a... You ever watch uh, The Fighter? Yeah, it's a great movie. All right, so Christian Bale's role in The Fighter. Oof. The I, whole time? He, make, he makes me not want to watch the movie because he's so fucking good at playing that role that I'm like, this piece of shit. I, actually, uh, William H. Macy does it on Shameless. Whenever he's on Shameless, Frank Gallagher, I'm like, this show's fucking stupid because he's so good. You don't like that show? I hate William H. Macy on that show because he's so fucking good That's the whole point of why Frank you watch the show, dude. He's hilarious. It drives me nuts, dude. He's a piece of shit, but it's hilarious. Yeah, don't get, I do like the show. I, the my awesome. least favorite parts always involve him. You're crazy. Uh, so I gotta watch that, Reservoir Dogs, and I still have to watch... Uh, Godfather 2 and 3. Are you listening to the movies that Tom's never seen, bro? He's having me watch movies that came out Is when he, I was Are a you child. reading the... What's, what's going on in the chat? My, Michael's distracted. Oh. Uh, Anthony said, true romance is great, so we're going to ignore the fact that Tom said that correctly the first time. Idiocracy. <laughs> Listen, I'm taking speech class for this. Michael, a couple shows... That's the movie where they started watering the uh, crops with Gatorade. Yes, yeah. that is that movie. Um, so Michael, you don't watch or listen to the show often. Uh, a couple shows ago, I wasn't able to say Idiocracy, like for real, couldn't say it. But I got it down. I went to my speech therapist, and she helped me out. <laughs> I'm glad that they've grown. You've grown since that last episode. What yeah. was the one you couldn't say at work? Tom, Tom tried to say something at work. Like, it was probably 15 Legality. minutes. Legality. Legality. Dude, it was so fucking... He was on the phone with somebody, a customer. And he was like, it's not about that. It's about the legal... Legal... legal you know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> no, I said, you get it. I got that from Pat McAfee. Uh, you get it, shit? I say it all the time. You get it. Uh, it's so fucking funny. All right. So that's going to close out movie time. Yep. Yeah, I want to take a minute and just remind everybody, if you guys want to follow us, you can follow us on uh, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, all at Number 9 with Tommy Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Number 9 Pod. Or go to our website, Number9Podcast.com. Go to the bottom of the page and subscribe to our email list. We are going to have a weekly question in there uh, to help you guys contribute to the show. Uh, hopefully this one's funnier than the last one. Oh, the question? Yeah. Do you want me to drop the question now? Oh, sure. Why not? All right. I'm going to drop the question. We actually, I think we could get away with, because we're, Michael got fucking questions fielded from all over the internet. Yeah, we don't have to do the questions. Yeah, like, we're, we're, we're way long, which is great, because we can save Grind My Gears, we can save Silver Lining, we can jump down. Um, 
to the questions for our guests. Before we do that, let's go with the, the weekly question. So what you're going to get in the newsletter is, what is your most outrageous holiday memory? Um, and, I mean, feel free to manipulate that question however you choose. It could be funny. It could be awful. It could be, um, you know, not outrageous. It could just be something that means a lot to you. Whatever. What's, what's something that stands out for the holidays? And we also want to have some uh, some meat and potatoes to the story. So it's yeah, not don't email back and say grandma shit on the table. We want to know why grandma shit on the table. We want to know if there's corn in the shit. Yeah. Um. Do you have an outrageous holiday memory, Tom? You no. can't use the one you used last week where you went and surprised your brother because that's already been used. That's the only one. Oh, all right. That's oh. the only thing I do for holidays: surprise okay. my family members. All right. Uh. I had a girlfriend who, um, she asked me to bring her children to Thanksgiving with her family because she was going to be working. So she was going to meet us there after the fact, right? This is a girlfriend? Yeah. Yeah. One who we will not name. Oh, okay. I was like, Jesus Christ. Yeah. Um, so I bring the children to meet her family. Now I have met like two people in her family. I've met like her mother and her stepfather. And like, I don't think anybody else in this house is fucking packed. I mean, there's cousins, there's aunts, there's uncles, there's just everybody under the sun is that it's extremely uncomfortable for me. Luckily children, as both of you know, provide you with this like escape, right? Like you can just hang out with them. And nobody thinks anything weird. They're like, oh, cool. He's, you know, he's getting along with the kids. Instead of like, why isn't he talking to the adults? Or why is he so weird? Um, so we sit down for Thanksgiving dinner. She still has not showed up because she's still held up at work. So the her mom is like, Patrick, what we do uh, is um, we go around just like any other family. We talk about what we're grateful for. But because you're new... We have a thing where you kind of have to tell us about yourself, you know, start uh, earlier in life and just kind of get to where you're at now so that we all know you a little bit better. So I do this and I, tr- I try to nail it, man. I, you know, like, I, you know, I, I got to take this fairly seriously. I've never met any of them. So I, I go through like what I do at work. I go through how I ended up there and blah, 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 blah. I say what I'm grateful for. And they all just start eating as soon as I'm done. <laughs> and I'm like do we go to the right or to the left? And she's like, oh, no, we don't really do that. Thank you, though. And I was like, fuck. <laughs> That's awesome. Got me good. <laughs> At least she has a sense of humor. Yeah. Uh-huh. Michael? Um, I I have a uh, fond memory we can talk about. What's not really a fond memory. Um, it doesn't really have to do with a holiday. It's more of a birthday. That's a holiday. Yeah, those are those are interchangeable. Okay. Um, so I it, the one that comes to mind is Grandma's uh, birthday party down in New York. Uh, anybody, oh, hold on, Michael, hold on. Anybody listening to Michael tell the story of my grandmother's seventy fifth birthday party? Please also watch the live chat because Tony was there as well. Go ahead, Michael. <laughs> yeah. So I had brought my um, my girlfriend Yolanda, Mexican at time uh down to this party and of course you know every girl you date uh for for a while like that's always going to be the one you're always like i'm going to marry this one you're you know the honeymoon phase there so uh i we go meet with all the new york family at this restaurant and 
that was basically mistake number one. Um, so, but dad's going to be there. So that's mistake number two. So the first thing he says to her when I introduce them is he, he starts with a joke and he says, uh, you know, what do you tell a girl with two black eyes? And she says, nothing. He goes, she says, what? And he goes, nothing. You've already told her twice. <laughs> and so this is the joke, uh, that he, he says as they're meeting for the very first time ever. Yeah, that's, that's actually a really good uh, explanation of what it's like to meet our father right there. Yeah. Uh, if you remember, <laughs> there was some um, issues with the, uh, I, I think Tony paid with like a $100 bill or something like that. And like they didn't bring the money back or there was like some issue with the money. So anyways, uh, we kind of started breaking out with this big scuffle. And next, you know, the entire kitchen staff like runs out. It unloads the whole kitchen. Everybody runs out there, and it's just kind of us and Dad. That is completely and, um, accurate. Yeah, Yolanda's with us, and Dad's starting to call all the the uh, kitchen staff wetbacks. And of course, <laughs> if you remember, Jesus. <laughs> that is that, also oh, factual. Oh my god. One sense I'm ready to throw down, the other sense I'm completely embarrassed and trying to apologize for him. And I, you know, at some point in time, um, you know, I getting thrown and whatnot, and we ended up having to. I think cops got called. Oh yeah, the cops definitely got called. And it was at a pretty nice high scale restaurant. I mean, this wasn't you know some McDonald's or something. Yeah, no, we were that first off. Yes, that was a very uh, exclusive restaurant. Second, that was the second trip in a row that I was asked uh, by the police to leave a family event. The, the one previous to that was uh, so grandma who was turning 75 for that occasion, her late husband had just passed away and we got thrown out of his funeral by the police. So I, my father is on this wonderful track record of getting us thrown out of, uh, you know, fairly fancy affairs. Maybe it's you guys, because I went out to dinner with him and you one time and we didn't get thrown out. That's because our waitress is probably a uh, single white person who was not homosexual. I mean, he has a specific group of people that he likes. Jesus. All right. That was a, he, so dad that day uh, bounced a penny off of a staff member. I don't know if it was a waiter. I don't know if it was uh, somebody from the kitchen. He bounced a penny off of the forehead of that person and said, there's your fucking tip. I, uh, I do remember that. So I got a story. I got a, a birthday story. Okay. But hold on. Did did Tony chime? Oh, he sure did. Uh, he said, that track record is called Dad's Life. <laughs> um, so this is all, a lot of it's hearsay because I'll get into that. So I was probably 11, 12 years old. Mm -hmm. My parents used to throw parties all the time. It was my dad's birthday. So they had a big party outside. Whole family comes over, both sides. Uh, and my mom's family gets a little, you know, they can party, mm -hmm. you know. So, but my friend that lives behind us in the field, behind the field on the other side of the street there, uh, he had come down and he asked me if I wanted to sleep over. So I was like, fuck it, I'll go sleep over there. I'm 12 years old. I want to hang out with my friends. Yeah. So after I left, I guess um, my uncle and his son, I think, got into a fight in the side yard. Oh, no, you know what it was? One of my uncles showed up. One of my mom's uncles showed up. And he hadn't been invited. Now, mind you, I don't think he lived in Connecticut at the time. He lived in Vermont. He was an alcoholic. I'm not sure that they wanted him here, but he shows up 
gets into a fight with some people. Um, fists are flying out in the front yard. My fucking neighbors, uh, little Twitch boy there. Yeah. His parents are out with their kids. It's like two o'clock in the morning. They're fighting in the yard. They're out there with popcorn watching the fight. Happen. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, yeah, we we have a lot of good times when I was yeah. younger. I wish I still partied like that. I wish I had it in me. Uh, yeah, you just heard Tommy reference that person as Twitch Boy. Michael, this guy has the most aggressive Tourette's I've ever seen in my life. I mean, it's it's, it's cannot be ignored. And you do your best to not, you know, make yeah, not kind of call him. I I will say this. First off, he is a great, great guy. Oh, he's wonderful. He, he's a great person. He's a good friend. Um, when I was younger, I remember when I was younger, he would, you know, he's always had Tourette's, right? So he, we'd be talking or whatever, and he'd be, we'd be sitting in a group, and he'd be twitching, and I'd be like, dude, cut that out. What the fuck's wrong with you? you know, but I don't know what Tourette's <laughs> is. So you know what I mean? So, like, what do you, so as I got older, I figured out what he had. So I remember this time, I'll tell you two quick stories. We're, I was living here, right, when I moved back from Mass. Yeah. So me and my dad are out doing the leaves, and Johnny's, or shit whatever and he's doing <laughs> Jesus. and little twitch boy is doing his own little landscaping thing right his own little business on the side so he comes over and he wants to help so we're raking and and he goes through spurts right where his um i don't know what you would want his trigger or whatever you call it changes where um it's something different like his body's gonna do something different but it's always some sort of twitch so this one, he would twitch forward, kick back, and burp. <laughs> right? And I'm talking burp real fucking loud. And so he's helping us rake. Tony right? would be disgusted. <laughs> um, so he's raking, and he's doing this, and me and my fucking dad are in stitches. <laughs> because, and so then he leaves... To go get his boy's uh, vacuum truck, so he's gonna vacuum out the leaves for us. And he comes back and he's helping us. And he's and me and my dad are on the deck and watching him do it. And he's doing that the whole. We're fucking dying. So later, I ask, I'm like, dude. He's like, he he comes over and does it, and I'm fucking laughing. He goes, dude, don't let it fucking hurts. And he does it. <laughs> so then I feel bad. So then I buy my parents' house, right? So I'm here and I got a couple dogs. So I'm setting up dog runners outside. And he comes over and he's helping me, and he's twitching. And he started doing his twitch. He's up on a ladder, putting <laughs> one of the things into the into the tree, like the eye hooks. Yeah. And he starts doing, and I'm like, dude, don't twitch and knock your face on that hook that's in the tree, and then get knocked out in my yard, dude. I don't need that life. Uh, he's a great kid though. He's he's always willing to help. Um, he is. He's wonderful. I I when you mentioned him, the only thing I can think of. We had to go pick up a hot tub to put behind Tommy's house. And this motherfucker, somehow, I don't even know how this happened, but we chose him to drive. and Because he had the truck in the trailer. Holding the steering wheel does not stop him from twitching, apparently. I, like It is very aggressive. I'm sitting shotgun, and he is whipping this fucking truck. It's, it's amazing my, that he can drive. Mind you, at the same time, uh, smoking a bowl. And drinking a beer. Yeah, yeah. While he's driving. Yeah. Well, while Tommy well, and I were not smoking or drinking, this yeah. is the guy we chose to drive. And I'm talking, like, dude, like, I had to close my eyes on that. Remember, he saw that bumper sticker oh, yeah. in that car? Yeah. And literally, it was, I'm not going to get into what kind of uh, bumper sticker it was, but it, at the time, 
this was about four years ago. It was a political party that he did not like, a person running for president. And he swerved at this lady's car, and I swear, he came within inches of hitting that car. It was not comfortable. Oh, so bad. Yeah. Great kid. Though. Well, at least Great your, your uh, life choices are consistent, Patrick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I follow a specific path. I go for, uh, is this going to turn into a good story for a podcast one day? Yeah. So far, it's worked out. Uh, all right, so we, we want to ask uh, yeah, let's, Michael let's these quick questions. Fire some questions. Michael, Tommy's going to ask you three questions. You are welcome to opt out of any one or all three of the questions, um, but we're going to ask you. But you are required to answer them. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, first one, what's the worst moment of your life? Worst moment of my life? Man, I've actually had a lot of them, man. Um, I think, uh, I think for me, you know, I had a very difficult, uh, decade from adolescence to mid twenties. Um, you know, a lot of drugs and a lot of alcohol, a lot of fighting. Um, I moved out to Tucson originally in 2007 and, um, you know, to kind of sober up and get away from this stuff. And then I decided to stay out here and make a life for myself. But there was an event that brought me home to Connecticut um, that, you know, kind of Tony was involved in it and, and then some level Patrick. Uh, but there was a moment where uh, it kind of, we went back to that house on Grove Street and, uh, you know, I just, you know, through the lens of sober, through sober lens, I was able to see the impact of the choices I had made, how the, how deeply they impacted not just my brothers, but also my mother who was with me at the time. And um, to the point where I, I, I almost collapsed on the floor um, and realized and, you know, how much damage I've caused my family from my life choices. And arguably, um, like moments later, uh, I, I had my mom just kind of bring me back to the airport uh, because um, I needed to leave Connecticut and I wanted to get back to Tucson and and, um, you know, I had gotten on the airplane and I was just kind of living with all that shame. And I, and I had made a decision at that point when I landed in Tucson, I was going to kill myself. And I had come up with a, the plan and the whole bit. Um, and so it, that that four hour plane ride was one of the most sobering and, and darkest times of my life and having to live with that. Ultimately, um, it, it turned into one of the better moments because that's, that's really where I kind of started a relationship with God and, and really started to make um, true changes in my life after seeing the impact I had caused in other people. Well, this is the least comfortable I've ever been on the show. What the yeah. fuck? Well, hey, man, I got to oh, say this. So this. Oh, God. So this went through. Is fuck you for asking that question. I don't care which one of us wrote it. Hold on. Oh. It, is that the first time I've never heard that story before? I oh, will wow. say breaking news on number nine with Tommy Podcast. I, I will say that uh, Michael, we have a story about that house that is coming up on a future episode. We keep we keep ending up at that house. Tony ended up at that house. Tommy and I have ended up at that house in conversations. And I promise you, this story is going to be a barn burner when we get to it. It's good. Uh, I, oh my god! I want to say this to you and Tony. Uh, it's amazing the progress you guys have made in your life. And so much. I met Pat in 2007. That's when I met Pat. Um, and I knew very little. Like, I knew that you guys had had some issues. Um, didn't know the extent of, 
of them, obviously. But um, I want to say what you both should be commended and you guys should be very proud of yourselves that first off, a family of five boys had two of them go down a path that wasn't very bright. Yeah. And both of them turned their lights around. You know how odd that is? It's it's unbelievable. And people, it's it's so great. I have people like that I'll see at work or I'll see at a gas station. And they're like, hey, man, how are your brothers? Because they all, expe- they say it and they like, you know, like yeah, they cover their chin because they know what's coming. And I'm like, oh, man, they're, you know, this one's this and this one's that. And they're, I, we're so happy. And, you know, it's, it's you know, it's, it's wonderful. And they've done this, this, and this. And they're like, really? What the fuck? Yeah. I'm like, oh, yeah, no, everything's good, man. <laughs> they're, they're always blown away. Yeah. I love that. So. I think especially Tony, I mean, um, when I came to Tucson, you know, I ended up uh, kind of meeting who's now my father figure. And I ended up in the Catholic seminary for a couple of years studying to be a priest. And I, I had access to, you know, therapy. And um, I had, you know, I just had so much support and so many um, opportunities that came from that that have really helped me turn my life around. But really, you know, Tony stayed in the in the darkness and was able to grow from that. And, you know, that's really the exception here is, is, and and then becoming basically a single father and having to raise his daughter and and not having that good example and just basically doing that all of his own instinct and love for his child. That to me is inspiring. What a humble son of a bitch. Yeah. Right. (laughs) All right. So, uh, how about the best moment of your life? Wait, hold on. Do we have, is there any new chat? Michael no. has fucked my world up. I want to be clear. I am not over that story, and I'm not sure that that's going to happen today. Well, I mean, you should look at it as a good thing. No, because I almost threw up on the fucking podcast. What? I mean, he, that was not an easy thing to hear, bro. It's not an easy thing to hear, but you should be happy that he's, one, he's at peace. We might change it. this question moving forward to what's the second worst moment of your life? <laughs> <laughs> See, man, you always look at the negative. I hear that as a positive story. He saw the trouble that he had caused, and look at where he is today. At least he used it as motivation to make change. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm glad that that is not a road we ever had to go down. Yeah, jeez. All right, so uh, what's the best moment of your life, Michael? You know, honestly, not to sound cliche, but I'll just go ahead and be cliche. I mean... The day I got married was probably the uh, the most fun, and the I would say it's hard, it's a hard tie with the day that Kean was born. Um, the day Kean was born was probably the most healing day of my life, uh, because for years and years, you know, with our dad, I never thought that I could ever be um, a dad, and I never thought I could be a good husband, and so that was actually part of like why I left the Catholic seminaries. I healed a lot of those areas through therapy. And I realized that I would be a good father and a good husband. So the day I got married um, was like that day where I've realized that I could just wholeheartedly, with every fiber of my being, love another person. But the day Kean was born and to hold him in my arms was is just a moment that it's it just changes you dramatically when you're holding your child in your arms. And it's just kind of like, you know... I people say they look back and they're like, Oh, I understand the mistakes my parents made. I think, um, and I was scared to have a boy first. I, I, I actually wanted a girl first because I was afraid I was not going to be able to be affectionate and loving with a a boy. I thought there was going to be some like wall with that, with our childhood. 
but actually um, right away, I don't know if I could have been more affectionate with him. And, um, you know, it, that to me was like that moment there is like when I, some people say, understand the mistakes my parents made. For me, that's when I, I lost any ability to understand my dad because I was like, how could you ever, ever, ever do to us? Like I could never even imagine having the ability to do that to my own son. And that feeling is kind of what I, what, what I felt when they put him in my arms. And it just, it just changed everything for me. And it also was that it was the best day because that's when I realized that there was like a genuine change in me. And like, I wasn't my dad. Nice. It's way easier to listen to way easier. <laughs> All right. Our last question. Uh, what's the most embarrassing moment you can remember? Oh man. Um, there's so many, uh, <laughs> the one at my embarrassing moment, um, I guess it's I was I had just gotten this job at Country Grocer in Thomaston, and you know we we didn't grow up wearing nice clothes. We just kind of grow up grew up wearing the jeans and a t-shirt. But I was a bagger, and this is my job, and I was taking this thing seriously, man. So I I had a nice dress shirt on and a tie, and I was making an impression. Um, but I wasn't very good at tucking my shirt in because I never was used to it. So I had to pee, and so I ran to the bathroom. <laughs> before my shift started and I, I tried to utilize the um, convenience of a zipper but I wasn't very good at it apparently because I didn't pull out far enough and I uh, ended up peeing all over my leg <laughs> and, and so I had to make a decision at that point I had just <laughs> all the way down my leg and it was very obvious and uh, I was starting my shift uh, but I couldn't work my shift with piss all over myself, so I had to go home. So I came up with this elaborate story about how the sink overflowed on me, and I was leaning up against it looking in the mirror, and I didn't notice it was overflowing, and I poured water down my leg. And so I had to run from the bathroom. If you guys remember Country Grocer, I had to run around the back and down the aisle, and there was a bunch of people in the store, and I've got piss all down my leg, and i got to run up to the counter there where the managers were sitting, and i got to convince them that I just flooded the sink all over myself, and I had to go home and change. And, and they believed it, but um, nobody knew it was urine, um, but it did not matter. I was I was just as embarrassed. What are the fucking... Uh, first off, that's hysterical. Absolutely hold hysterical. On, hold on. Time out. What are the fucking odds that Michael and Tony both told stories about pissing themselves? But, hold on. More importantly here is that Michael believes that those <laughs> managers didn't know that he pissed Yeah, yeah you think they bought that fucking story? That's the mechanism. They still refer to you as Piss Boy there. Yeah. Remember the time that kid pissed on himself and he told the <laughs> Yeah, what are the ads that Baldwin told stories about pissing themselves? Thomaston is exactly 10 minutes wide. And you worked exactly 10 minutes away from where you lived. I mean, you had to drive all the way across town to change, huh? No, I actually had to call mom. No, that's... The, driving. That's even better. The mom... I had to get in the car with urine-soaked pants to get driven home. <laughs> Did you tell mom what happened? That's a place in my life where I was able to come completely open, like, honest with it. And I'm sure she could smell that it was urine. 
<laughs> and I remember the story, but I'm not sure if I lied to her or if I just told her what really happened. At that point, I was pretty mortified. <laughs> um, Mason wants to know if all the Gallagher's have problems using the bathroom. Uh, well, we know that I have a pretty severe bladder problem, so uh, that's three. Um, yeah, I don't like, know about uh, the older two. We're gonna well have to after find talking out. to to Michael some more. It probably uh, all of it probably ventures back to your father. Yeah, but let, let's go ahead and assume that our bladder issues are a direct reflection of uh, again this term that we keep referencing PTSD. Yeah. yeah. Um. All right. Uh. So next. So we already did this, Pat. We did. Yeah. So uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and say. Michael, thanks for being on the show. Uh, I'm not going to lie to you. I think this is, I got to say, all three Gallagher so far have wildly impressed me. You are the most unimpressive Gallagher I've met. I could have told you that before we started recording. I mean, it's pretty, <laughs> it's pretty obvious that you are the runt of the family. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, really, I have like, Tony's the funniest. Tony's the sweetest. I don't know which one I, I would say Michael's the hardest worker. Steven's probably the smartest. Well, and he's clearly the most humble. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, Michael clearly is the classiest, you son of a bitch. I did not expect such class to come out of Michael today. Really got me. Um, I also didn't expect him to tell a horrific story that's going to leave me with nightmares for the next week and a half. But that's fine. Jeez, you'll learn how to let stuff go. Michael did. <laughs> um, but I want to thank you, man. I, I had a lot of good time talking to you. This was uh, definitely our most educational show by far. Um, it's been fun. Uh, yeah, having me. The last time we talked about COVID, we were reading statistics off of an internet website. Yeah, like we broke uh, down like the percentage rate of what people were getting. It was that was a long time ago. It was like episode six, I think. It was definitely single digits. Yeah, it was a long time ago. Um, so on our next episode, we're gonna do football uh, reviews, uh, kids slang, and all new. If you would you, mm-hmm. and. Uh, read answers to the questions for the most outrageous holiday story. Um, I also had some articles that I was telling you about that Eric had sent in. Yeah. That I think we're going to do, uh, they're pretty funny. So I'd like to get into those. Um, anything else about? Oh, obviously, uh, check us out. Number nine podcast.com. Go to the bottom of the page. Subscribe to the email list. You can donate to the show there. If you're watching on YouTube, you can also, there's a link in the chat. You can subscribe. You could donate to the uh, show with the link in the description. Um, and make sure you're subscribing to the YouTube channel, following us on Facebook, Instagram, the number nine podcast. The shit. Dead, up. Dead. Uh, number nine with Tommy podcast and uh, Twitter uh, at number nine pod. Anything you want to add, Pat? Michael, I love you. Yeah, Everyone love you else, too. I say good day. <laughs>